We have now come to the last cantos of the Divine Comedy. The Empyrean, cantos 30 to 33. Some thoughts, first of all, on canto 33. At dawn, the magical moment of aurora, the light of the stars gradually fades away as the sun's rays strengthen. Likewise, the angelic hosts visually disappear as the transfiguring light of the Empyrean intensifies. Previously, Dante had beheld the, sy the symbolic point of light surrounded by the celestial hierarchies. Now he apprehends the point is also the circumference of the whole of order of creation. God contains all things, the one and the manifold. St. Dionysius says the divine glory, the Shekinah, is revealed and known to us through the angelic orders and these we know through certain symbols and by these through grace we are brought back from the manifold to the oneness wholeness in the ray of transfiguring light here in the empyrean dante has been brought home and he is now beyond the confines of time and space or better still, at last time and space have become fulfilled through indwelling love and wisdom. Dante, the poet, is defeated. He is unable to capture in words the beauty past knowledge that surrounds and upholds him. The wonder is beyond description. And surely only the Lord God himself may enjoy it all. He turns and still knows the divine radiance for the young girl of his earthly love. Beatrice's smile is radiant. It is the instrument of God's love. She is transfigured. Though Dante does not say it, he too would have been transfigured in order to have beheld her, just as the doctor Motilov was transfigured through beholding St. Beholding Seraphim of Zaroff transfigured as snowflakes drifted down around them in the forest. The fire and the light of the Holy Spirit is of a totally other order than our material world, though it may illuminate it for us. The snow does not melt, neither does matter catch fire. Dante stands before his beloved in the transfiguring light of intellect, nous, filled with love, luce intellettuale, pena d'amore, Amor di vero ben 
pien di letizia, letizia che strascende ogni dolzore. Verses 40-42 Light, intellectual, full of love, love of true good, full of joy, joy that transcends every sweetness. Beatrice, the girl in whom Dante as a boy first saw beauty, now radiates all that is true and abiding. His love for her has been a journey to the highest theology, to the wisdom that is above the price of rubies, the glory of he who created his beloved Beatrice and holds her in his love. In Florence, through Beatrice, Dante had known radiant beauty, and such is a salutation, a beatitude. Christ had stirred within him. Beatrice died, his earthly vision was removed, and gradually his memory dimmed for the pursuit of philosophy and other things. All that he had held unto ultimately failed him, and lost in the dark wood of his passions the memory of his first love, the love that opens up all other true and abiding loves, returned to him. Beatrice was not lost, but ever resplendent in paradise. His gift of poetry would be dedicated to her, his true and only muse. In a sense, only God himself can fully comprehend the beauty of the beloved in whom, though we love, we only love in this life partially, simply because we are frail mortals. Therefore, to know the beauty of womanhood as God alone knows it, Dante himself must be transhumanized, transfigured, made a partaker of the divine love, deified. And Thomas Traherne's prayer is Dante's prayer, our own prayer. That is, if we truly wish to know the love that moves all things from the heavens to our meagre worldly affairs. Traherne's prayer is as follows. O oh, give thyself to, unto me, for without thee no gift at all can satisfy. And because thou thyself art the gift, O oh, give me what thou art, that I may give thee what I am, and be made a partaker of the divine nature. Just as Virgil left Dante when his task was done, so now Beatrice is about to leave him and take up her place on one of the thrones of the celestial rose of paradise. He is encompassed with luminous intensity, so bright that he is unable to see anything. Deep within him he hears the words, The love that maintains this heaven ever in harmony greets all who enter it, with the salutation that prepares the candle 
for the flame. Here is a clear reference to Proverbs 20 verse 27. The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of his belly. Traherne goes to the essence of the quotation with his usual perceptive directness. O Holy Spirit, be thou the candle of the Lord, shining in me, that must never go out. Dante would have rejoiced at Traherne's words. Our hearts are potentially like a candle that may be only lit by love and the life of all true loves is none other than the Holy Spirit. The luminous, resplendent, radiant, never diminishing light of the glory is none other than the action of the Holy Spirit transfiguring all things into sacrament. Thus Dante realises that he is being overpowered by a life force beyond his own, and that a new vision is being given. Now there was no light so bright that his eyes could not have withstood. He sees a river of light flowing from an infinite height. This is the Holy Spirit's grace descending on the creation. The banks are an eternal spring of flowers like rubies set in gold, and the waters glisten with living sparks. The flowers are the souls of the redeemed, and the living sparks are the angels ministering to the souls. Dante has to drink from the river of light in order that his thirst for knowledge of matters eternal may be quenched. Line 75 Così mi disse il sol degli occhi miei So spoke the sun of my eyes to me. Vision, insight, perception the creative imaginative faculty in the higher sense, the divine imagination, the Christ within us, is beyond any yearning for knowledge, because it is the source of all knowledge, the eternal spring and flow of inspiration. In other words, beatitude rests us in the eternal will that is our peace. The racing mind is stilled and knows that the eternal Thou is with us. All is known as true relationship. And the its of this world are seen as it were through the Lord God's eyes. All things are harmonious and at peace, yet in movement, in the steps of the abiding dance of life. As Dante drinks of the light, so he recognises 
that the river is a circular sea of light. It is the radiance proceeding from the divine essence. Dante's sea recalls the crystal sea of St. John, Revelation 4, verse 6. The meaning here for Cristoforo Landino, the Renaissance um, student of Dante, is that only then the soul drinks deeply of the divine grace. It is, uh, it, uh, it is only when the soul drinks deeply of divine grace is it able to see that grace circles and returns to its source. From this sea, in the context of Dante's mirror symbolism, the light, the glory, the Shekinah, is reflected through the heavens to the earth and so to all mankind. It is through these reflections of the light that we are able to know God and to allow our eyes of the heart to become gradually accustomed and to cast back the light we have had through the grace to perceive. From the eyes of a child, the light once known gradually intensifies through the drama dramas of life to lead us home in patria. Beatrice, the child, the young girl full of grace, is ever before the poet, for unless we become as children, we shall not see the kingdom. This is the reason why, why Beatrice, at this point of the Commedia, at its climax, becomes childlike, frail. Of course, I refer you to Traherne's wonderful meditation in the third century of, um, of Meditations, number three. It is said that the eyes are the mirrors of the soul. The exchange of recognition between the eyes of lovers reveals in an instant the order or degree of their love. Our eyes speak of the nostalgia for paradise, for beatitude, or of spiritual laziness, and such a state is rust. Their glinting portholes may be channels of mere lust, perdition, damnation. Dante beholds the light. He is seeing with the inner eyes of his heart and not the eyes that look outwards and see all things in a perspective-like box. Gradually the sea, flowers, fiery spirits transform and reveals, reveal themselves as the court of heaven within the celestial rose of the perpetual spring. Above there is the rose of paradise, symbol of pure consciousness. Below there is the sea of light from which radiates the light that enlightens through a multitude of reflections the descent down, down, down to you and me. 
up or down are, of course, meant purely symbolically and not to be thought of in terms of space, the space of Sputniks and rockets. St. Maximus the Confessor writes, For the whole spiritual world seems mystically imprinted on the whole sensible world in symbolic forms for those who are capable of seeing this. And conversely, the whole sensible world is spiritually explained in the mind, in the principles which it contains. Surely the final vision now being granted to Dante implies the mystery of death. We know that these verses were written sh shortly before his death, but something more is implied here. It is the death that all who approach the living God must submit to. We die in order to live. At the liturgy, the catechumens are told to leave before the serving of the sacrament and its mysteries. The doors are shut behind them. This signifies for the baptized the passing from material things by death, and the thud of the doors shutting is like the marble slab closing the tomb. St. Maximus the Confessor writes that this moment is like the passing from material things which will come to pass after that terrible separation and even more terrible judgment and the entrance of the worthy into the spiritual world, that is, into the nuptial chamber of Christ, as well as the complete extinction in our senses of deceptive activity. The acknowledgement of the coffin which awaits us all, the necessary dying before our physical death overtakes us, implies that we are leaving the life of a grub to become a chrysalis in order to grow inwardly and so be metamorphosized into the butterfly, the glorious liberty of the resurrection. The canto ends with Beatrice indicating an empty throne awaiting the Emperor Henry VII, suggesting that Dante must surely have subscribed to the apocalyptic concept of the Holy Emperor whose role is intimately related to the coming judgment. Once more, Dante pours scorn on the greed of the earthly church. Um, regarding the apocalyptic of the Holy Emperor and the role intimately related to the coming judgment, the Russians, for example, see the assassination of the Tsar and his family as heralding in the final last days. We could likewise say that the execution of the King Martyr Charles I opened in the British psyche to hitherto unknown pressures 
of the materialistic mind. France, through the destruction of its monarchy, opened itself to anarchy and revolt, which we all know exists to this very day when we try to cross the the channel, we find all the channel ports on strike, or all the roads blocked by lorries, or whatever. Cantos 31 and 32. An important clue as to how we should approach these cantos with their descriptions of the celestial groves lies in line 121 of Canto 30. Presso e lontano, lì ne pon ne leva. There, near, and far, neither add nor take away. Dante is speaking of the space known within the heart. Not, certainly not, space as it was to come to be understood a hundred years later in Florence with Brunelleschi and Alberti. Perspectival space was to eventually destroy the last residues of iconographic space that may be recognized in traditional religious art of the Due and Trecento in Italy. With perspective, our way of seeing things, indeed our awareness and consciousness, changed once and for all. The secular mind that was put was to put its trust in science, materialism, and economy was born. The eyes looked outwards and, like roots, found their sap in an external world from inventions to colonial domination. The West gradually lost the inner space that may contain all things. Perspective only knows a brilliant display of its, of objects, and how to relate and to represent them. The theories of and mature art of Cezanne encapsulate this manner of seeing. Roger Fry could look at a painting such as Cimabue's famous crucifixion and mutter at a lecture, the subject matter need not detain us, and then proceed to discuss the work merely in terms of plastic values and forms. How different this approach to Dante's. For the space known in the heart knows relationship, above all personal relationship, the thouness of true life, that holds the manifold in unity. Dante is describing space as it is experienced in love, when the beloved next to us is embraced, or when the faithful soul kisses an icon of the Saviour or the Theotokos. When the beloved is embraced, the whole cosmos is embraced. When the icon is kissed, then it is Christ, his mother, or the saints and angels who are reverenced as present, here and now, 
not as some far-off fantasy. Soon we are to meet Dante's last mentor, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who wrote extensively on the mystical significance of the kiss of the feet, the kiss of the hands, and the kiss of the lips. It cannot be sufficiently stressed the extent to which the discovery, it wasn't a discovery because the Romans already knew, um, the method of perspective during the Renaissance. It was symptomatic of the deep change taking place in the West. Romanticism at its, bless, at its best was a melancholic intuition of a lost order of space, whereas surrealism and drugs know only psychic residues and not the space of the eyes dwelling in the heart. Thus, when we imagine Dante's description of the celestial rose with its souls of the righteous and the ministering angels, then we should think of ourselves somewhat like standing before an iconostasis that is like a window opening out to the spiritual worlds. The opening lines of Canto 31 state that the pure white rose was made of Christ's own through his blood. White and red, the white of purity, the red of passion, the passion. As dear T.S. Eliot said at the end of Little Gidding, the fire and the rose are one. Certainly, we can paraphrase the words of T.S. Eliot, certainly we have not travelled thus far with Dante to lose our way with vain babblings. We are not reading to verify, instruct ourselves in the sense of savoir, or to inform curiosity, or to carry report. We have travelled to kneel, where prayer is valid, valid because a very great poet has painted for us in words a magnificent icon of matters true. But why the rose as an image? In the west the flower is paralleled with the lotus of the east. Both flowers are images of consciousness. The Buddha is seen sitting on an open petalled lotus. Dante sees Mary and the saints sitting on the thrones within the robes. It is the flower, besides the lily, which is especially associated with the Mother of God, and it is she who is the supreme representative and queen of heaven. The angels descend like a swarm of bees. These one moment inflower themselves in the souls and next return to where their toil is turned to sweetest stores. The bees enter without harming the flower. 
its colour or scent. Then fly away collecting honey, which here signifies contemplative prayer in the fullest sense possible. It is an amazing thought that with our cooperation, the angels are with us to extract the sweetness of prayer from us. Our prayer is the honey we offer from the flower of our consciousness by the ministry of angels to the life of the spirit, the place, says Dante, where love abides forever. All is penetrated by the luce divina, the trina luce, the divine light, the threefold light, from the highest heaven to the earth below. The rose is Mary, the saints, the church. It is ourselves, storm-driven as we are, who are through baptism and Eucharistic communion, very members incorporate into the mystical body. When we move from the human to the divine, from time to eternity, then we enter silence. We stand mute and simply behold. It's the fruit of moving on and beyond the intellectual comprehension of this or that doctrine to contemplation. We gaze, as it were, from yet another circumference towards the centre. We gaze no longer at the letter, but the substance itself, God. This is the ecstasy of which the saints speak. And so amidst the living light, Dante is urged by St Bernard to turn his eyes to the blessed, gazing on every row of thrones and their occupants, up and down and around. He is enraptured at their beauty. The souls of the righteous now reveal to him are not simply flames of love, but in the glory of their resurrected bodies. No longer is Beatrice standing next to the pilgrim, but St. Bernard. He points out to Dante, his beloved, seated and crowned on her throne. Remember that there is no near or far here. All is beheld within the heart. All is relationship. All is thou. O lady, thou in whom my hope is strong, thou who didst leave heaven and leave thy footsteps in hell. Remember, Beatrice, at Mary's request, descended to Limbo in order to ask Virgil to lead Dante out of the dark wood and back to the sacred wood of the earthly paradise. All I have seen, I acknowledge the grace and the virtue to be from your power and goodness. Thou hast drawn me from slavery to liberty by all those paths and by all those means 
which thou hadst power so to do. Keep turned to me thy magnificence, so that my soul, which thou hast made whole, may be loosed from the body at death and be pleasing to thee. Line, uh, 31, lines 79 to 90. And the lovers now exchange that most precious gift, the smile. Dante is told by St. Bernard to behold the garden of love before him and let his gaze behold the whole company of heaven to eventually rise to the Queen of Heaven to whom we owe devotion. It was she who incarnated God with us, Emmanuel, through her obedience. Be it unto me according to thy word. She is the model if we wish Christ to be in our midst. She is the rose of our consciousness. She too was human and redeemed. The Holy Spirit overpowered her and thereby God was incarnate and took up human flesh for our redemption. Virgil, who signified the good of the intellect, guided the poet back to the sacred wood of the garden of earthly innocence. His role was handed over to Beatrice, the vehicle of Dante's first glimpse of love. His devotion to her freed him of the limits of philosophy and led him on and back to the mystery of the wisdom of angels. She answered all his questions in the context of the theological Thomistic terms of his times. She encouraged him to progress through the various degrees of contemplative understanding signified by the angels. She was that gentle balance of intellect and prayer. Now her role is taken over by St. Bernard. What can this signify? Dante is explaining how he moved from theological wisdom known through human love to a grasp of contemplative insight, the steady, quiet, tranquil beholding of God. It is a beholding that, like St. Bernard's own life, balances action with contemplation. The life of the acquisition of the Holy Spirit may take us to a hermitage in a, in a forest, and even there we must survive, grow our food, wash, sleep. It is the way, life of the way and the truth uh, by which every day becomes a sacrament an outward sign for inward grace. It is a standing before God, seeing him in all things, discovering the eternal thou, addressing us here and now. It is the fulfilment of the faith of Abraham. It is the removing of our shoes before the burning bush. It is the acknowledgement that our whole life 
grows out of knowing the Lord God's name. I am. I am that I am. I am that I will be. I am here and I am there. I am there as I am there, whithersoever thou shalt go. The whole of history is revealed as a mysterious approach, a theophany that becomes ever nearer and ever between you and me, to the kingdom hidden in our midst. If we cannot know and acknowledge God in our neighbour, then any other concept of God that we may form is by definition false and idle. So Dante is told to behold the saints. It is only with the saints that we are able to comprehend what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth understanding. Ephesians 3 verses 18 and 19. The saints reveal to us the infinite varied power of divine grace. They are, in fact, the outward manifestation of the blessed and most holy trinity, ever standing in relationship, ever addressing all things in and through the thou. Carroll writes in his final volume in Patria on page 494. The elevation of creatures to the godlike state of adoptive sons is an imitation and therefore a manifestation of the eternal generation of God the Son. Considered as a communication of divine nature by love, it is also an image and, as it were, an extension or ramification of the eternal procession of the Holy Ghost. The whole company of heaven is connected in some way or another with the story of the redemption, be it the souls of the Old Testament or the souls of the New Testament, saints right up to our own times. The celestial white rose represents the union and fellowship of the Holy Trinity in the saints in glory, the mystery of the transfiguration. To see and know the saints is the necessary preparation for beholding the divine mystery, I am. This is why the altar in Orthodox churches is screened by the iconostasis. The Holy of Holies in the temple of old was screened by the veil representing the elements. The altar is screened in the Orthodox Church but is open to all to behold through the royal doors through which the prepared bread and wine is taken and returns to us as the body and the blood. The icon associated with the royal doors is that of the Annunciation, the coming of Christ Emmanuel into history.
above, among other icons, we will see Christ in glory seated on his throne, and to the left of whom stands his mother Mary, and to the right his cousin according to the flesh, St. John the Forerunner, the Baptist. Both representations are to be found in the art of Dante's times. Now consider Dante's description of the rose. The Virgin Mary is seated one side and on the other is seated St. John the Baptist. Between them, at the centre of the rose, is the sea of transfiguring light, the light of Christ, the mystery of pure relationship, the most holy trinity, closest to which are the souls of children. Beneath Mary are ranked Eve, Rachel, Sarah, Rebecca, Judith and Ruth, and no doubt a multitude of other holy women. Beneath St. John, that is the Baptist, are ranked St. Francis, St. Benedict, St. Augustine, and a vast multitude of saints. Even here, in the mystic rose, Dante does not blur the role of the sexes, but stresses the extent we relate to one another in our separate roles, between which is the potential relationship of the transfiguring light. Then to the left side of Mary are seated, are seated St. Peter, beneath whom is seated Beatrice next to Rachel, the contemplative line, and St. John the theologian and all the saints who believe that the Messiah or the Christ has come. To Mary's right are seated Adam, Moses and those who believe that the Messiah was yet to come. Either side of St. John the Baptist are seated St. Anne, the mother of the Theotokos, and St. Lucy. It does not take much imagination to see the celestial rose as inspired through the art of Dante's times, and it is serving as a sort of iconostasis in his poetic genius, veiling the profundity of the mystery. Now, as Dante lifts his eyes to behold the Mother of God, so he evokes the Annunciation, 32 lines 94 to 14. There can be no further true progress without grace, the grace that brings Christ into the depths of our being. This is why we must pray to Mary now and at the hour of our death. Indeed, we must, through the feminine mysteries, become as Mary, receptive mothers of God. Canto 33. And so St. Bernard begins his great prayer to the mother of God. Virgin Mother, daughter of thy Son, humble and yet higher than any other creature, thou who art the unmoving end of the eternal counsel, truly thou art she who did so ennoble human nature 
that its maker did not disdain to become man. In thy womb was rekindled the love under whose warmth this flower in the eternal peace has unfolded. Here thou art for us the high noon sun of love, and below amongst mortals thou art the living spring of hope. Lady, so great thou art, and such is thy merit, that whoever seeks for grace, and who does not seek thee, his desire attempts to fly without wings. Thy goodness and kindness ever comes to his aid, and often is given before his asking. In thee is mercy, in thee is mercy, in thee magnificence, in thee is to be found whatever of goodness is in any creature. This man who has witnessed the deepest pit of the universe and who has come up to even here, he who has seen one by one the spiritual lives, now implores thee of thy grace for the gift to be able to raise his eyes even higher until it shares in the highest bliss. I who never for my own vision burned more than I do for his, offer thee my prayers, praying that they may not be weak. I ask of thee that thou wouldest dispel from him every cloud of his mortality, and thus enable him the highest joy may be disclosed to him. That is, the last vestiges of original sin may be cleansed from his soul. Moreover, I pray thee, your majesty, thou can do whatsoever thou wilt, that thou would preserve him and keep his heart pure after so great a vision. And that is that he may worthily relate his vision or insight in verse and not be deranged or be guilty of psychic delusion. See how Beatrice, together with many saints, clasps their hands in prayers to thee. Now Dr. Carroll very perceptively notes on page 515 of in Patria, that this prayer comes very close to St. Bernard's second sermon on Advent. I don't propose to read it now, but um, it's a very interesting comparison. Now, does Dante presume that he saw God? No. He does, however, maintain that he received a deep insight into the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity, veiled in the transfiguring light of the glory, the Shekinah. Of that there can be no doubt. It is as if his whole life's experience and all his reading and knowledge through prayerful meditation opened up to reveal their true significance and meaning. 
just like a rose opening in the sunlight. All who sincerely struggle for Christ to dwell in their hearts are blessed with such moments. But rarely the, rarely the intensity to which Dante was blessed to know the deep relationship between the divine persons of the Trinity. His life began with seeing the beauty of a child of approximately his own age. His life reached fulfilment through his commitment to the theophany of Beatrice. He was granted a profound understanding that the essence of relationship is love and that God is the thou who addresses us and who stands between all our efforts to love, wishing to draw us ever deeper into the divine love. This is the message Dante wished to convey to us by the writing of the Divine Comedy. In his mind, he intellectually understood the significance of the light of the glory. In prayerful contemplation, it was as if he had beheld the inward reality of that which his intellect had grasped. Through beholding the light he received, he gained insight into the created order of things. He had a moment of intuition, a comprehensive grasp of the universe. He saw how the outward shells of things contained the kernels of life, the logoi of the eternal logos, the word, the confirmation of the opening of St. John's Gospel. The beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He held the light in his prayer, in his heart, and as it were, through the intensity of his seeing, saw that in the depth of life, light, all things are bound by love. His image is that of a book, the leaves of which are dispersed throughout the universe. The substance and accidents and their relations fused together in such a way that there was but a single light. He says he believed he saw this because his visionary grasp had brought him deep and profound joy. His mind, wrapped in contemplation, gazed, fixed, motionless, intent, and saw that which is belong beyond the limitation of words. He saw not discursively, but all things simultaneously at a glance. A moment of kairos, not to be counted in chronological time. He saw all things in the likeness of their maker. As he held the light in his mind, there appeared to him three circles 
of three colours but occupying one space. The first mirrored the next as a rainbow to rainbow. The third seemed to be fire breathed equally from one and the other. In other words, what Dante saw in his mind was not the divine essence, which no man can see and live, but a symbol, a drawing into oneness. O luce eterna, che sole in te sidi, solo t'intendi, ed a te intelletta, e intendente te ami, e ridi. O eternal light, who alone abidest in thyself, and known to thyself, and knowing, loves and smilest on thyself. Lines 124 to 26. God alone abides in himself, whilst all other beings seek their rest beyond themselves. God rests in himself because he is his own happiness, because he understands himself, because a perfect happiness is the perfect activity of a perfect intellect exercised on a perfect object. To quote once more Thomas Traherne, God is happy in himself and happy in us, happy in eternity, happy in time, happy in heaven, happy in earth, and so shall we. Happy in the creation, in the redemption, in the day of judgment, and so shall we. Happy in his works, happy in his laws, happy in his ways, happy in his counsels, happy in the glory of his eternal kingdom. And so shall we, who must of necessity be transformed into his divine image, that we may thereby become one with him. That is quoted from Select Meditations, the 4th century, Meditation 29. As Dante continued to gaze at the symbol that had come to his mind, so it seemed to him that he saw limbed on his vision the shape of our humanity. In other words, he beheld at a deep level the crowning mystery of the incarnation. He saw the mystery of the image in which we have been created and through which by the incarnation passion and resurrection of Christ we have been invited as guests at the eternal banquet of all the works of God wrote St Thomas Aquinas the mystery of the incarnation most transcends reason nothing more astonishing could be imagined as done by God, than that the true God and Son of God should become true man. 
and St. John Damascene wrote that the Incarnation reveals to us at once the goodness and the wisdom, the justice and the power of God. Goodness because he did not despise the infirmity of the work of his hands. Justice in that by the man conquered and not by another, he conquered the tyrant, not snatching him from death from, by force. Wisdom, because he found the most fitting pavement of the heaviest price. Infinite power or virtue, since nothing is greater than that God should be made man. As Dante strove to fit more accurately the image of our humanity onto the symbol in his mind, so his vision faded. However, however, his will and desire were overpowered by love, the love that moves the sun and the other stars. For God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Thank you, but it's Dante, not, not anything I've done and the mystery that is at the heart of all things. I've only had the privilege to have been a, a rather imperfect interpreter. Thank you all very much.